Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast where I go in deep with experts in the fields of mindset, nutrition, and sports. Thanks for being here, and here is a snippet from this week's guest, Caroline Burkle. There's this like perfect sweet spot of how much you can push before you pull back. And I think that's tapping into that and knowing that is going to be huge. I mean, we can all have the Navy SEAL mindset for life, okay? You can have that mindset, but at some point, you break. Mental or physical, it doesn't matter. And you have to know to have that sweet spot of like, okay, this is the amount that I can push before I pull back. Caroline Burkle is an Olympic swimmer and she won the bronze medal in the 2008 Olympic Games in the 4x200 meter freestyle relay. Caroline has dedicated her life to swimming starting at age four and swam all through high school and college, making that her life's work. Caroline also won a gold medal at the 2007 Pan Am Games in Rio de Janeiro. But Caroline is so much more than these incredible results and feats she's accomplished in swimming. She's a really interesting human being who spent a lot of time figuring out who she is and what makes her tick and how she can not only make her life better, but how to help others as well. Caroline has a mentoring program called Rise Elite, which is a sports psychology-based approach to mindfulness and personal success in sport and life. With Rise Elite, up-and-coming athletes can partner with Olympians from different sports where they can work on improving their self-confidence and enhancing their focus to maximize their performance and make their overall life experience better as they pursue success as an athlete. In this episode, Caroline talks to us about her journey as an Olympian and as an athlete, her identity shift after retirement, and how she has built her career and her mindset moving forward since then. Caroline is really passionate about learning when to rest and about talking about when to push in your life and when to hold back, and that line is different for everybody. I think you'll walk away from this episode with a big smile on your face. So here she is, Caroline Burkle. Hey, Caroline, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? How are you? Good. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you. We've been Instagram buddies for a while and been sharing some fun stuff on Instagram, but I wanted to have you on the show because I know that you are a very insightful person and you've done lots of rad things in your life. And I thought, hey, like, I want to get to know you better, but what better way than letting all my audience to get to know you better as well? Yeah, thanks. You know, it's one of those things too, where you look at Instagram and you say, we met each other on Instagram. We (laughs) We met online. Yeah. Which, you know, if you use it for that reason, then you do meet some pretty cool people and you can connect with people. So it's been awesome to get to know you as well. And you're the badass over there. So (laughs) I'm very impressed with your life. So I've been following you and you're up to some cool things. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think it's fun because a lot of times people have really negative things to say about social media. And again, it kind of is the lens you choose to look through. But Social media has been a really positive thing for me and the responses I've gotten, and I'm sure for you as well, have been positive and it's how you choose to use the social media. Yeah, exactly. It really is. And I have my pros and cons in my mind about it all and as does everybody, but I think you have to choose what you want to focus in on, take that microscope and focus in on the parts you want to focus in on. And also realizing that not every single thing that you do on social media has to be perfect or the exact way that you want it to be. And I think that's the beauty of it as well which is cool. 
Yeah, totally. So let's kind of chat about your story. So I did a little bit of research on you and I'm not super familiar with swimming, but I found out that you are in a bronze medalist in the Beijing Olympics in swimming in the four by 200 relay, right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. So how did you get into swimming? So swimming was always just a part of our family activity when we were kids. My dad was a swimmer his whole life and he competed in college. He was really good. He was a sprinter. It was like second nature to just throw us in the pool from the get-go. And there's this awesome rock quarry in Louisville, Kentucky. It's literally the best pool in the entire world. It's a lake pretty much. Wow. So growing up and swimming in that versus swimming in, you know, chlorinated eight lane pool, which is the normal situation, we got spoiled and we really went to town on that. We were there every day, pool rats. And I think you just fall in love with it. You fall in love with being there. You fall in love with having a blast. And my parents would drop us off, come back at 9 p.m., you know, and we were there all day, every single day. And so I think it's just one of those things that you adapt as part of you and part of your entire being. And we did that from a young age. So it's really cool. My brother, and I'm speaking about my brother and I, Clark. So we were literally pool rats. <laughs> and so that's how it all began. But we were young. We were like four when I first started, you know, in the water and then eight when I was actually swimming, swimming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And then you, you swam through high school, I'm assuming. Yeah. Swam through high school, swam through college. I got pretty good when I was like 13, 14. And I was a very late bloomer in the swimming world. I was not an aggressive, like, I got to kick everybody's butt, you know, like that was not my deal. I was like laughing and missing my races and totally delirious, <laughs> like having a blast. Yeah. I just, I was very nervous as far as like getting, I was nervous to be good. And so I was never nervous to race. I liked racing, but I was nervous to be really good. Like I was that little girl that would like look behind me to see if I was like, why I was winning. Like, Oh my God, shouldn't be ahead. (laughs) So like I was nervous to get good at it. And so that was something that was just like a big learning curve for me. And I think that's when I started to really own it and take full advantage of that. Yeah. It's really interesting, especially for some of the other sports like swimming where people start at a really young age and you're going through all these different thoughts and feelings of what does it mean to be good? What does it take to win? And who am I if I win? Who am I if I lose? And if you're doing that as, as an adolescent, that would be really hard with all the other pressures going on outside of being a competitive athlete. Absolutely. Honestly, I could have cared less about any of that until like my junior, senior year in high school. It was the running joke literally the running joke to have like success. Like my coach was like, Oh, be careful. You don't want to get too good. Or, you know, you don't want to do well in this race. Like, you know, don't be scared to do well. And like, it was the running joke that I was, it was like, I wanted to be good, but I just was scared. I was scared to be good, which was kind of funny. I didn't want to do too much. I didn't want to lift too early. I didn't want to start doing too, too, you know, I was like, I just want to wait. Like, I want to wait. I want to like not stress out about this right now. I want to wait until I'm a freshman in college and then I'll start lifting. And like, maybe I should just wait to do that. You know, I was like very moderate. Like I tried not to crush life too early. And I think I just knew, like I had this feeling and I just knew that if I did that, that I'd burn out. I was a little bit ahead, I think mentally in that aspect that I understood that if I did too much and if I was too aggressive and too intense, that it would not be something that I would do forever. And I knew that I loved it and I wanted to do it forever. So I was like, I'm just going to take my time. 
which is interesting because I am an extreme personality. <laughs> it's like all in, but that was like my moderate side, you know, it's like I knew that I didn't want to like crush it too soon or anything like that. My coach is really supportive of that. So it was cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think the hard thing about when you start winning things and maybe it was a subconscious thing is you, it's a tough balance to do things for the love of the sport instead of doing it yeah. for the love of winning and the love of attention that you get when you win, because people yeah. love a winner and even being second place is really hard. People don't care as much when you're second place. People love it when you win. Yeah. So yeah. In, in a way that that must have been helpful as an adolescent to be able to put the brakes on and be able to do it for the love of it, not for the results. Sure. And to be quite honest, this is the part where social media does play an influence nowadays is that there's a lot more to compare out there too, that we, we had then, but it wasn't as widely known and seen out as it is now. And so I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't care. I was like, whatever, you know, I mean, we just traveled and did stuff and it was fun and went to these meets and that and yada, yada. And I would worry about this or be mad that I got second here or third, but it wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't like the world ending comparison game kind of thing. Like I think it could tend to be now. And so I think that, you know, in that instance, ignorance was a little bit of bliss growing up and just staying in my own head and not worrying too much about where everybody else was. Okay. So you get to college and you went to Florida. Is that right? You're a yep, gator? gator. All right. I'm a gator. You're a gator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bleed orange and blue. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what made you decide all of a sudden, okay, now it's game on. I'm going to, I'm going to go all in and the moderation game is, is out the window. I think that there was a moment that I realized that I was going to be good. And I remember going to Olympic trials my senior year before college and it was in Long Beach and I got ninth in the 400. So I was first alternate because I only take eight back. And I was like 17. I was a really young freshman. So I was 17. Yeah, no, wait, 16, 17. Yeah. And I was like, I think I can be pretty good. <laughs> it was like this switch in my mind. And I didn't tell anybody. I was very internal with that, like, you know, very nervous to talk about goals and all that, which is quite ironic now because I preach on that and I work with athletes on that. However, it is everyone's own perception, but we'll get into that later. So, but the biggest thing was that I just, I had this feeling that I could be really good. And for some reason it was like, Florida was that ticket, that passage, like that rite of passage to be able to be like, okay, this is a fresh start. My club coach, Mike was absolutely supportive of me going to that school and was really good friends with one of the assistant coaches. So I just felt a lot of support. I felt this like rite of passage, like it's time. I'm going to do this. And I think that was just an internal decision. There was no like external factors or anything like that. I mean, obviously you go to a college and it's a blast and you have new team and new friends and new coaches. But I think it was just this internal decision that like, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> like yeah. now's my time and I'm just going to give it my best. That's amazing because a lot of people will feel that, but they are too afraid to go after it because what if you fail? Yeah. And like you said, you didn't tell anybody and may, I don't know, I, I'm just putting words in your mouth now, but if you say a goal out loud, I'm going to do this, then that kind of puts it out there. And if you don't do it, then there's a bunch of other things that you personally have to deal with psychologically whenever you've said it out loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that you think about when people put stuff out there on social media too, and have people have the whole world hold them accountable it's the same kind of thing. Like, Oh crap, now I've got to do it. Right. And so when you say that, and when you put that expectation out there, 
it's out there. And what if I fail? And what if this? And what if that? And that's real. It's a real thing. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's still the same in your brain if you don't share it. We, we just have to understand that and reframe that, that like we're our own hardest and worst critics too. So either way, you have that expectation set there. So I knew that. And it was just a, a moment in time where I felt like I could start a new chapter. It was time. I was, I was cool with it. I'm a free spirit on the inside. I get a little bit of that from my mom. She's Cali girl and just has a whole like, woo, whatever, you know, attitude about her too. And so I went to college and I was like, I'm free. And like, I'm a huge homebody. I loved Louisville. I loved it. But I just like was so ready to go. Like I was just excited. I mean, I was like, oh, I'm free. I'm out there. And so that theme stuck with me. Like when I could feel that way and I knew that, that I had that freedom to just go and achieve what I want to achieve at the pace that I wanted to with the support group that I could, that I was going to be able to do that, which I think is relevant to a lot of people. Yeah. And that's a common theme that I keep hearing on the show. Like a good friend of mine, her name's Catherine Pendrell and she got bronze at the last Olympics in mountain biking. And I was asking her, you know, what do you attribute most your success to? And she said, having support and being putting the right people around her. And it sounds like picking that school and going that route was the the key to having the right people and the the right combination around you so that you could fly. Yeah, that's huge. And I'm really having this like, come to Jesus moment again about it right now. Like, holy cow. And it changes. There's going to be different people that come into your life. And it's beautiful when you can realize what they are helping you see. And then also what you're helping them see. And oftentimes what we're helping them see is exactly what we're trying to see ourselves. So it goes in this like crazy, like circle, you know, and it's so it's it's neat. And it's cool. And I think looking back now, I appreciate it. But I don't realize how much I really did appreciate it at the time to have that family there. So yeah, super key. Okay, so now you're in Florida, like you're guns a blazing you're swimming for the college or the university, and now you're starting to really see some achievable, like measurable high-end results. And when was your first moment where you thought, wow, okay, the Olympics are in my future for sure? I won SECs my freshman year, and it was just like light bulb. And I remember... Can I interrupt for a sec? What is SECs? Uh, Southeastern Conference. So that's before NCAAs. So it's conference championships. And as a freshman, and I was nervous. And I was, yeah, it was like, you know, but it was at our pool. It was at Florida's pool. It was home turf. And I that was like, probably just the most surreal meet of my life. And it was incredible. And I remember winning that. And it was like, all right, in four years, you're gonna do this. And coach sat me down and told me that. And so insert expectations here because my sophomore year was not pretty like at all. And it was, that was a huge young Caro learning moment, you know, like you've had expectations placed on you and you're 18, you know, you wow. are working on yourself and trying to make friends and like, you know, trying to understand where you fit in on this team and in your life. And ah, I'm like learning all these self, you know, fulfilling things about myself and yada, yada. And I'm in college. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and by the way, you have to be number one now. And if you're not, then, you know, that's not good. And so that was a self-imposed expectation. But at the same time, you have coaches and people that are telling you, you should be doing that. And you're going to be doing that. And they do it in a way that of of course is 
supportive. But to be quite frank, when you are an 18-year-old female, you look at that as OMG. Like everybody is going to hate me or think that I'm dog poop if I don't do this, right? Like, so you have this like, and I'm not saying that everybody does that. I'm not stereotyping. But I do think that when you're a vulnerable teenage girl, you know, like late teens, like going through this who am I phase, it's a little bit of a, if I don't do that, who am I? Like, like you said before, if I don't do this, what's going to happen to me? And so I took that and like really had a hard time with it for some reason, because I can usually block things out pretty well when I compete, but I could not for that sophomore year. It was tough. And so then I got doubts in my mind about that. Like, am I, is this really worth it? Like, am, I'm, there's no way I'm going to make the Olympic team in three years. Like, not a chance. Like, I've got to be on my A game now. Look at what my competition's doing and comparison game, yada, yada. And then I really knew that it was time my junior and senior year. Like, I could feel it coming. And I could feel myself shifting and feel myself understanding my body and how it works in the water and out of the water and how much rest I needed and how that affected my mindset a ton. And then that was when I really started to believe and I bought into it. So at the beginning, it's like that rookie, like highlight reel. And then it was like, all right, now I'm buying in. I've been through the expectations. I've been through the success. Now I can really buy into this. And, you know, I had a couple moments again, but that was like the true buy-in for that was like senior year right before (laughs) I bought in, but I really bought in towards junior, senior year. But how did you do that? Because you were mentioning all these feelings and doubts and things but how do you pull yourself out of that cycle, especially because you had been in that cycle for so long? You know, I don't know that it's a matter of pulling yourself out of anything. And I think that's what we get stuck. In. We get stuck in that mindset as athletes. Like, I'm here. I've got to get out of it. Snap out of it. Get out of it, Burkle. Like, you know, get your shit together, blah, blah. You know, like we always, we have this inner self-talk that it's like all or nothing. Like it's either this or that. And it's neither this or that, really. I mean, yeah, in essence, it is. But there's also a space in the middle where you have to understand that it's going to suck in the middle, (laughs) for lack of a better term. It it is. When you're pulling yourself out of something, that's the hardest part. And so, you know, I remember going through months of one day, great. The next day, I was really nervous. The next day, I was great. The next day, this meet, I was terrible. This meet, I was good. You know, and so it's real wavy there. And it's definitely wavy there. And so you have to navigate through that in a way that you understand. And I think that's where the support factor comes in. And I don't believe in like classifying ourselves as certain things. But I also think we have strengths. One of my strengths and one of my weaknesses is not is the same thing. I'm very hyper aware. But that can also be something that you can overthink things, right? So I would analyze everything that I did for a while there. And so then I, what so really kind of pulled me through that channel of waviness was starting to turn my mind off. And so I really learned how to just evolve away from hyper analyzing every detail of everything and turning my mind off. Like I didn't think in terms of times, it doesn't work for me. You know, I can't do splits. It doesn't work for me at all. And so I was really working with coach on how can I, start to shift my way of learning in this sport? Is it by thinking about images and like, you know, during my pace, he would say things like, okay, your tempo is this. And -and so-and-so is right at your tail. And that was what worked for me. Like you're right at this, you're right at this. Like she's right there. Instead of your 12 point this on the first 25, 12 point this on the second, like you need to be 26 point two, you know, like that didn't register for me. So Mm -hmm. 
that really helped me to have that communication and that support to, to weave my way out of that. And instead of hyper analyzing every detail to really shut my brain off and just start to listen to my body and go through that. So that was a really long winded way of saying that. But, you know, there's so many factors that go into it, I guess is my point. But you have to really listen to your body and know that that hallway in between the, the doors is, is messy. And it's not just one or the other. You pull yourself out slowly. Yeah, it reminds me of that little graphic that you see where it's like the path to success. And there's like all these little lines everywhere. But yeah, yeah. I like that. Chaos in the middle, you, man. I love that you. every person's individual, but you have to pick what you need yeah. to focus on in order to get to the next point. And for some people, it is numbers and it is hyper analytical things that motivate them and other people shut down in those situations. But it sounds like focusing on what you needed to do in that moment with your body, regardless of any other outside stimulus, really coming in and focusing inward is what really helped you get through that. Yeah. And here's the thing is you have people that can shut things on and off really easily. And I was one of them, you know, like get up, go race. You've got, okay, boom, blinders on. I can do it. Like the world could be crashing down around me and I can put my blinders on and focus. That's great. But if you don't assess what's actually going on afterward, or at some point you're not going to learn. And that's the, being an athlete is learning. It's learning. It's learning how you learn, first of all, and your way of learning, but it's also learning how you, like I just said, like what works for you in that space versus trying to just be one or the other, Mm -hmm. like slamming myself into categories. It's like, how can you navigate through things? Is it by not thinking so much? Is it by analyzing? Some athletes need that, like graphs and sheets and, you know, like what is it that works for you? And I think that's the beauty of it is there's not, it's not black or white, you know? And so you have to be a student. (laughs) You're a student learning. And I think that's what I tell some of my athletes too. It's like, you're a student of the sport, you know, and, and when you're a student of the sport and you really learn that you learn what to turn on and off, when to turn it on and off and how I can best learn for me and my brain, you know, personally. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also a great point that it's about perseverance in anything that you're doing, not just sport. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There are going to be, there's going to be extreme highs where you feel on top of the world and knowing that's not permanent. And also when things are are really low and things are really hard, knowing that that's not permanent either. And just knowing that it's about the process and moving forward and not dwelling on success or failure or anything in between, but why going back to your why, like, why are you doing this? And what is your goal? And are you willing to just keep going even if it's hard? Yeah, exactly. The why is huge. (laughs) Though, and a lot of times people don't know their why. And that's okay. It goes back to my point. It doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm just gonna like write down my why and like figure it out right now. (laughs) It's like my purpose in life. Here it is. So (laughs) and I went through that phase. And sometimes I still do. I'm sometimes I mean, I'm just learning how to write again. I like to write all of a sudden. It's weird. And I don't really do well with writing things on a computer. I need like, and it's bullet points for me, right? You know, like that's how my brain works. I'm a talker. I express myself with my hands. I express myself with people. And I, that's, that's my craft. I love it. However, it's like you learn different ways that work for you. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like that is actually something that I can start to wiggle my way into in my way. It doesn't need to be beautiful sentences and poetry and everything. Like some people are like, write these books and stuff like that's great. And I love it. But for me, that's where I'm starting, (laughs) you know? And so it's just knowing why you're starting instead of like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and write my why right now. Or like, I'm just going to sit down and write this the way that I, okay. And then I sit there and I stare at the paper and I'm like, no, like 
what's the way that you know how to do it? Okay, let's start with some bullet points. Cool. Okay, so like bullet points, blah, 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 instead of like just trying to make it and force it so hard. So that's just an example of something that, you know, it's like you can't force something sometimes. You have to just really do it the way that you know how and adapt it to make it the best that you can to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, that's such a great lesson. I mean, I'm getting uh, super philosophical. Probably not, way too fast. I love, no, this, this is what I love. This is great. This is the story of my life. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you're building something, but everybody listening right now, how many times have you set a goal saying in five years, I'm going to be doing this? And I would say 99.999% of the time, it doesn't look like the way that you thought. Like no, you can't, my- you can't do that. It's about on a day by day basis, shaping your future. And it's okay if you have to change your course or a course correct. Oh my gosh. Like, absolutely. So I used to work for Lululemon for a long time. I worked in different various sides of the business. And at one point I remember going back and looking at all my goal sheets and literally, cause they're all on the computer. I had like May, June, July, September, October, <laughs> November, like every month I would change something. And even if it was like a word, I was like, no, I don't like that. And I'd change it. And yeah, there it's a, it's a pro and a con. There's pros and cons to that, right? Cause you can be indecisive and whatever. And sometimes you have to stick to something and commit to it, mm-hmm. which is huge. However, it's, if you look back, the theme doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And so if you can live in, underneath that theme and under that umbrella, then you can create some magic in there for whatever it is that you want. And just knowing what that theme, and maybe that will change, but usually you have a pretty good idea of what you want that theme to be overall, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, change for that. <laughs> so let's go back to the senior year. Now things are rolling. Things are good. The Olympics are in sight. So take us through what happened next. Okay, senior year, Olympics are in sight. I went through a tough time right after NCAA as my senior year because coach was like, no time off. And I was like, no. So I like basically quit for three days. It was quite a tumultuous 72 hours. I bet. Yeah, I mean like endless arguments. I was like, I hate swimming. And I just had the best NCAAs of my life. Like I was on cloud nine, but I was so tired and burnt out. I was like, all I want to do is just take a few days off. So then I drag myself back to practice and I get my mind screwed, my head screwed on right. And I had the best summer of training in my life. And this was right before Olympic trials. Yeah. So trials were in June, right around my birthday. Actually, I think they were on my birthday or one day was. Anyway, that's like really not a important fact. <laughs> I'm just getting back into the specifics of the details. So then I made, I actually just missed making the foreign free. And then the 200 free was the next day and then, you know, made it to finals, which would be the following day and then made the team. There's a lot that goes into that, but that's the synopsis of it. Uh, They were in Omaha, Nebraska, and they like clear out this basketball arena and put a pool in. It's so cool. It was really neat. So yeah, it was definitely a very, very, very high energy meet with a lot of pressure and Olympic trials is very, very nerve wracking, but you have to really again, work with what you're good at and work with what you know you can do. And so you get into that autopilot mode. So that was a lot of fun. And then you literally leave from Olympic trials and go straight to training camp with the team, which was in Stanford, Palo Alto. We were there for four weeks. And then we went to Singapore for 10 days to acclimate to the time change. And then that's that. I mean, I started tapering in Palo Alto because I'm big time taper swimmer or I was, and then rest some more in Singapore. And then we went to Beijing. And we were there and then the meet was about two weeks long. So you're there, you're gone all summer, like you're living out of bags and yeah. So, which is great. I mean, they take wonderful care of you. Absolutely. So it was 
such a whirlwind. But, you know, at that point in time as well, you're on, you've been on a bunch of international teams with all those guys. And so you're already a family, like literally everybody, I think that made the team had been on teams together before. So it's like, there's no, you get to know people even better than you ever have from all over the country that you've competed against or with. And it was super, super fun. So yeah. Awesome. So yeah, the team dynamic is really interesting to me because I'm a solo sport athlete and I've done yeah. things where I'm on a team with maybe one other person, but being on a team, like, did you have four people on your relay team? Yes. Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like being able to look at people and know as a team, as a, you're a unit and everybody's going to do their best, but every person needs to pull their weight too. And, and one person yeah. can't choke. Everybody has to be going. So did you guys have a discussion as a team or multiple discussions about how you're going to perform and what your expectations are and like communication around that? Yeah. And you know, going into the meet, like who the relay candidates are. So we had a lot of practice together and transitions and strategy and powwows and stuff throughout training camp. And, you know, there's a lot of strategy and tactics that go into it. We also got to learn what each person does well and what they're good at. And, um, you know, honestly, you just rise to the occasion. There's really no, like this person needs to pull this weight and this person, like you're a team, you're a unit and everybody knows their strength. Everybody knows, you know, what, whatever position you go in, you, you know who your opponents are and and what you're going to be working for. And so honestly, it's just more of like this, just this feeling that you want to keep (laughs) like that team feeling, the feeling of being on a relay. And to be quite honest, I obviously didn't compete in an individual event at the Olympics. I was close, but I didn't. And there's a part of that that still stings, but nothing will take away the feeling of being on a relay team. And I think they don't get as much press or credit for, and that's not a bad thing, but the amount of focus, but then also the amount of ability to work with others and to be able to be a unit. It's a craft. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's a craft. You have other factors that you have to really work on what you can and can't control even more. And so it's a good thing, but honestly, like couldn't have asked for a better situation, you know, a great team and like literally keep in touch with all of them and was in Katie's wedding and Allison was my roommate. You know, it's just, it's a crazy cool world of just like everybody is, you know, a unit. (laughs) And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I actually think though, that sharing that win is so much sweeter. Like when I do stage races with a teammate versus when I win those with a teammate versus on my own, even though in some ways it's more prestigious to win on your own in some events, like some of my events don't even have a solo category, but the experience of doing that together, I think means so much more whenever you win as a team, instead of just winning on your own. Absolutely. And again, it's, there, but there's pros and cons to both always, but I mean, there's really no cons to either, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, you really, you do have that feeling of camaraderie with the team, which is really cool. And you have a feeling of camaraderie as an individual athlete, of course, because the whole team is there in the stands rooting for you and screaming for you and yelling for you. And you know, they're right there. And so no matter what you have that, which is, it's phenomenal. So were you expecting to get a medal? I mean, some people are just excited to just be in the Olympics and other people are there because they're expecting to, you know, win or get a medal. Oh yeah. The goal is the medal. I mean, the goal is always to medal, but I was just happy to be there. Like I didn't care. I was so happy to be there. I just really wanted to 
experience it. And I'm a very competitive soul (laughs) and I'm very (laughs) driven and I'm very competitive, but I am not the outward, like if this doesn't happen, my life is over kind of girl, you know? And so I think that that was something that you keep things in perspective. And I, you know, I give a lot of credit for that to my parents. I mean, they were very, you do what you can and you be happy with that and whatever happy is for you with that, like, you know, use things as fuel if not. And so, I mean, for sure the goal is to medal, but you're also there for the experience and you're there to represent your country, which is phenomenal. So awesome. So it's race day and you're there and your team is there and the gun is about to go off. Describe that feeling in that moment. I don't remember. (laughs) I really don't. And so I, and that just proves the point of the autopilot. People always ask me like, what did it feel like? Just, I don't remember. It's that focus. You're just so focused that you're in, you're in flow. (laughs) You're in the flow. You're in the autopilot. You really got to tap into that. And so, you know, that's a lot of practice to do that, but it's also a lot of shutting your brain off and being in the moment you've done the work. You don't trust it. I actually really like that answer though, because it does show that super focus that you need. And I also think that it requires even more focus when you're doing like a shorter in terms of time, shorter time, because the cost of an error is so much more like for me, my races are a hundred miles long. If I make an error, it's probably not going to cost me the race. But in, if you're swimming for 200 meters and you make an error, that's probably going to cost you the race. Yeah. You know, so much can happen in any race. You know, there's been errors in all sorts of races. And, and I think that in swimming is a different, it's such a different animal, you know, it's such a different animal and it's a very, I mean, you're, you're swimming against resistance in a medium where there's not like full peripheral vision everywhere. And, you know, you really have to learn how to trust yourself and your body and the water. And it's like, there's so many interesting factors that go into it. And I think that that goes into the whole mind body connection stuff that is just super cool. But yeah, I don't remember a thing. I'm serious. I mean, I remember how bad Olympic trials hurt last 25 to make the team was the hardest race I've ever done in my life. But I don't remember the Olympics that much. I just remember getting out and being like, it's over. Like, Aww. what? Like, it's, no, but like, that, like, whoa, like, we're done. You know, like, it yeah. was, it was just weird. It was crazy. I mean, it was cool, but it was like, all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, holy cow, we just did that. It's just surreal. Your cut, your eyes are kind of like wide open to a lot. And so, yeah, well, that's awesome. Like, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, that's such a huge accomplishment to be an Olympian and then to have won a medal on top of that. It's And, you know, that was in 2008. And I want to move on from that, too, because it's 2017 and you've done lots of amazing things and you're still discovering lots of things about yourself, like you mentioned. So I want to kind of move on from that experience. And I want to talk about retirement from competitive swimming. And it sounds like you were dabbling in some more competition things coming up or that we're supposed to be coming up. But what was that like? I mean, our identity is so tied up in something that we've worked on. You were doing that since age four and your focus was on that. So what was that like for you when you decided, okay, now I'm not this anymore. Who am I? Yeah, exactly. And this goes back to what we were discussing just even a few minutes ago. I retired and I was like, all right, got to figure it out. What's next? You know, I didn't understand the hallway, the dark hallway that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. I was like seeking so hard this next form of gratification or something that I could do. And I, I worked hard. Don't get me wrong. I did, you know, 
I went back to school. I went to FITM art school. I've always had an art. I'm an art mind. I've always had the side of me that wanted to create and design. So I went to art school for swimwear design. I loved it, but I kept, instead of just focusing on the process, I was like, all right, so like when I'm done, what am I going to do? You know, constantly. And it was constantly chasing this entire idea that I've got to figure out what that next metal is. And I started to quickly learn over the coming years after that, that I was chasing something that, you know, obviously was not real. (laughs) There weren't real tangible things that I was going to find. I mean, it didn't matter if I got another medal at this or that or the other. It didn't matter if I got a degree. I mean, I mean, it did, but it didn't matter if I just started to accumulate all of these things. I was like, I'm accumulating all of this stuff, like these degrees and this and that, and it's fun. But like, what am I actually doing? And I mean, I was in a dark place for a while. I'm not going to beat around the bush from 2010. So I finally retired in 2010. I mean, I took a six months off after the Olympics and I went back. I was like, I don't know if I'm done. Like, maybe I'll dabble. And then I was like, I'm done. And I want to give back to the sport. Like I want to do more, but I just don't have no idea how I'm going to do this. So two years passes. I, you know, went, moved home, not home, home, but got my own place, put myself through counseling for about two years just to merely understand that all of these cobwebs that were just like stopping me were all these just just distractions and accolades that I wanted to get and this and that. And it was just collecting items that I thought were going to be helping me find this way of living that was going to feel as fulfilling as the Olympics did, or, you know, times before the Olympics or this, you know, Rio meet or this meet in Montreal, like all these things were just like, Oh, I just need all these things. So I ended up just shutting down and I went back to school again because I knew that I wanted to give back what I was realizing was important to athletes is finding your identity. And I had no clue how I was going to do this. I just knew that I wanted to work in that field. Mm -hmm. So I went to the university of Tennessee, went to school for sports psychology. It was great. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of smart work, but it was great. It was really good. And I'm so grateful that I went through that experience, not only because I learned a lot about myself, but I also was able to work with people on what I was still learning. So it was a very interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I graduated and Rebecca Stoney, who's a longtime friend of mine since like 2006 or something or five or whatever, she was like, I've been dabbling with this idea of starting a business and I have no idea how to go about getting people to do it, but do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, sure. So I started mentoring athletes on Skype with her and we had different athletes that we were mentoring each. And then one day we were like, we should just make this a business. This is going to happen. So we just for about two years now been working through that. So it was not an easy path. And I went through a lot of dark hallways, but my point is, is I, I literally kept trying to find that other room of brightness instead of just letting myself sit in shit for yeah. a while. And, and don't get me wrong. I did. I went to counseling. I sat in it, but that was the first release. This past summer was finally sitting still, literally. Mm-hmm. So I broke my heel. I have a heel fracture all the way through. And how did, from, wait, how did you break your heel? Uh, overuse. Mm-hmm. But it was literally a sign of, well, I mean, I dropped a real story. Okay. I dropped a 350 pounds higher on my toe. And then because of that, I compensated with my heel and I kept running and I kept pushing it. And why were you carrying was, a 350 pound tire? No, we were flipping them in workout. Wow. I flipped it. It was my choice. I yeah. wanted to do extra because I think I yeah. kept thinking that was like a good idea to do extra after the workout, yeah. which we'll get into that later. So anyway, long story short, 
I've been going, 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 going. I took like four days off when I retired swimming and I continued to run and lift and I was taxing my body to the max when I had already done that for 15 years of my life with various bouts of adrenal stuff and hormonal, you know, like whatever female athletes go through shit. Like we get that, we know that. And I went through it and I still pushed through it, which is great. That's what you, I mean, honestly, that's what you do when you, you go through stuff, your body's not going to always be perfect. But what I realized was that I never stopped. (laughs) And so finally a bone and one of my best friends, Amelia Boone, she like yelled at me like bone is non-negotiable. Okay. (laughs) Like you stop when you have a bone injury. Like you push through tendons, you push through muscles, you push through all of these things, these niggles. You cannot do certain, like a bone is non-negotiable and your heel is a very big non-negotiable. It hits the earth. There's nothing buffering that thing, you know? And so that is like your foundation and your foundation is broken right now. And it was like this gigantic light bulb, like, holy crap, like I'm not finished processing all this. Like I've got to slow down. And it was like a whirlwind of three weeks. And I was like, oh my God, like why I feel so weak. Like I'm just, I'm pathetic. I can't do anything. And you know, it's an injury. I get that. But so I slowed down for the first time in my life, literally in my life. And I have not been able to slow down the way that I have ever, but literally, I mean, confined to doing nothing for four months, pretty much, except for swimming. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now starting to get back into things. But I mean, that's a whole whirlwind of emotions during the four months, for sure. But what I've realized is that it's such a sign. It was such a sign for me. Like, holy cow, you are allowed to slow down and appreciate (laughs) things, first of all. Second of all, repair your adrenals for God's sakes, like for once in your life, sleep through the night without sweating, you know? And then third of all, like understand that your body is your tool. And if you want this darn thing for the rest of your life, and if you want to do things with it, it's not going to be easy to maintain it if you're going at the rate that you've been going at. So I don't even know, like I just get to talking because I like love just talking about all the realizations of this, but it's been a very humbling experience. And I was going to do a swim run to answer your question in Sweden with Hillary Biscay, who's now pregnant, which is really exciting. So everything happens for me. I'm telling you, I know it's a cliche quote, but it's so true. And I agree. And whatever reason that is, whatever you want to make up the reason to be, it doesn't matter. It's your own belief for it, for that. And so I'm really happy for her, but we pulled out of the race. I would have broken my heel all the way through had I gone and run on that terrain. I could swim it, (laughs) but I wanted to save the racing for that for another year when I'm foundationally strong again. So I'm just slowly building myself back up to what I want personally to be doing, which is going to look very different than what it was. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing, well, there's two really interesting things about what you said is, number one, sometimes the world forces us to slow down. And hearing you talk is kind of like looking in a mirror at myself because everyone's like, oh, you need to slow down. You're doing so much. And there have been times where I've been forced to slow down. And whenever you're used to achieving and going and going, you're kind of addicted to that momentum. Oh, girl, we can get into that topic for a long time. I was literally just talking to my friend Logan about this the other day. I was like, I'm addicted to suffering. And Amelia, too, her and I talk about it. It's like you get addicted to that. Yeah. And you don't know. It's not a bad thing. Everyone thinks addictions, but everybody's addicted to something. I don't care if it's like we're all addicted to our cell phones. I mean, that's an addiction. So there's there's something there that 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 I'm living in that mindset right now. of Like, all right, cool. Like, so maybe that's what it is. But how can I now move forward? 
I'm a proactive person. I'm like, okay, so now what? Like, let's think about like, how am I going to live in this like area of like, figure, of, like going through this and just being cool with it and turning my brain off and going through this and not overanalyzing it, but like just being cool with that. So yeah, that's a whole, that's a deep topic. We could do like I think five podcasts. Seri- <laughs> I'm serious. Like that is a deep talk topic. So we can do a part two just on that because I could get into that for days and I'm still figuring it out. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has the answers. So And I also think like realizing that the world isn't going to melt down or your world isn't going to melt down and end if you stop pushing that, that for me, that's been a realization where when I do slow down, it's like, oh, well, I guess that's okay. Like things haven't really seemed to have changed that much except for myself. Everything around me is still moving along, but there's that fear of stopping even, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but I think especially as an entrepreneur and you are, and I am, and it's like, the harder you work you're used to that yep. and you're afraid, yep. well, what happens if I don't work as hard? What, what, what is that going to mean? Yep, exactly. And so literally as like a fun joke type challenge about a couple months ago, my friend, Jonathan Lovett and Amelia Boone and myself started a rest day brags account because the three of us were terrible at taking rest days. And so we were like, all right, we're just going to do it to hold ourselves accountable. And we're just going <laughs> to see how it catches on. All of a sudden it was like blowing up in the ultra running world. People were like rest day brags. <laughs> and yeah. so it became this thing that was like, I still was struggling working with it. Like, and I loved this like struggle of the rest day. I was like, Oh, rest day sucks. You know, and I like lived in this moment, but I took a rest day when I was swimming every Sunday, like we didn't, we didn't train. And so I don't know why all of a sudden I didn't feel worthy to take one when I was done, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like living in this place of like, okay, I'm not 20 anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm 31 now. I know it's not old. It's not old, but it's like a shift in your body and learning, like you said, to be okay with okay, I am an entrepreneur. The mindset there is push, 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 push until you make it happen. And yeah, you do. But you also have to be very diligent and smart. And there's this area of, there's this like perfect sweet spot of how much you can push before you pull back. And I think that's tapping into that and knowing that is going to be huge. I mean, we can all have the Navy SEAL mindset for life, okay? You can have that mindset, but at some point you break, Mental or physical, it doesn't matter. And you have to know to have that sweet spot of like, okay, this is the amount that I can push before I pull back. Everybody's pullback is different. And this is like the point that I want to like drive home is that there is no perfect way to do anything. You know, there's no like, all right, you are in this cookie cutter category. And like for as much as you push, you need to pull back. And for as much as you do, you need to do this. And everybody's different. Somebody's pullback, maybe like an hour walk on their own just to focus and chill. Someone else's pullback, maybe three days going into your cave and writing and laying in your bathroom on the couch, which I'm talking from experience, me, I, you know, I love that. I'm an introvert at heart. I like literally just like could not be bothered. I'm like, I just want to do everything on my own, like do a face mask and walk around. And like, literally that is my entire, that's my way of pulling back. So and someone else's could be five minutes of deep breathing. Like it doesn't matter. I think it's just, you've got to create your own and there's no perfect way to meditate, perfect way to shut down, perfect way to rest, perfect way to push, perfect way to grind. There's no perfect answer. It's finding what space you live in and working within that and knowing that that's going to be where the success and where the silver lining is. And so I I get really passionate about that because I'm really tuned into that right now that there's a lot out there telling us how to do things. And great, take it, absorb it like a sponge and take what works for you because there's gonna be some awesome stuff and there's gonna be some not some awesome stuff, 
But again, that's your own perspective and your own perception. So form that and create that for yourself versus trying to fit into the mold that everybody else is telling you to do. Yeah. There's my like entire like speech. No, it's good. <laughs> I just get going and it's, there's no stopping me on that topic. However, it's a fascinating one that you can really focus on for a while if you want. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to stay curious, personally curious, because what you said is like, it's different for everybody. And if you're not curious and willing to try different things, then you're not going to discover this. And there's a great book that I read, and I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called Peak Performance. And yeah. it's written by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. And that book was amazing because in the book, I listened to the audiobook and I do that on my bike rides, but they kept saying, have the courage to rest. And I actually yeah. wrote that down on a sticky note. And, and Oh, we need that for our resting brags account. I need to, yeah. I forgot all about that line. And, and it's not, it's not just about resting as an athlete because a lot of people aren't just athletes. There are lots of things. So having the courage to rest period, like a rest day. Cause for me, a rest day was working 12 hours. I'm not riding my bike, but now I'm working 12 hours. Well, that's not really a rest day. Cause that's not resting right. your nervous system. So I want to exactly. actually, so I want to segue this into talking about adrenals and the pushing, 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 and then waking up. And like, I wake up with night sweats sometimes myself. And I actually didn't really know what that was until you just said something about it. And that kind of makes sense. So let's yeah. talk about this. Okay. So again, everyone's going to react differently, but my personal experience with adrenal fatigue, and there's a lot out there, and there's a lot of symptoms, and a lot of this or that, and there's a lot of symptoms for everything, so you can diagnose anything you want, but me personally, after working through it mentally and physically with blood work and things like that, my personal experience with it is very true to overtraining, and it's not just overtraining in my body, but overtraining in my mind, which is rooted a long time ago, you know, and that's cool. It got me to where I wanted to be right now. There are days when I'm like, God, if I wasn't, if I would have done more rest or whatever, I would have been better. So sure. There's what ifs forever. I am now realizing that 10 to 12 years of severe night sweats is not normal. (laughs) And I let that go. Okay. I had no idea that that was what that meant, but you know, your body's stops and comes to a halt in the middle of the night finally. And your system is like, screw you. Right. And you can push through that. Just like I talked about earlier, you can push through a lot of stuff. We do it all the time. We push through stuff all the time, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. We push, we fight, we grind, we do all this and insert the bone being the non-negotiable. You don't push anymore. Right now. That was obviously physical for me, but I just realized, you know, after X amount of years, this past summer at 31, six years retired from the sport of swimming, still doing various competitions, having a blast. I was doing a lot of like CrossFit for a while and a lot of tons of running and no swimming, of course, until this past year, which is another awesome thing that came back into my life. But I finally realized that that was my body's way of telling me something. And it took me long enough, but I've realized it. Now, if I would have been more vocal about it when I was competing, maybe something would have happened. But it just goes back to that power of communication and understanding that that was something that I could have been a little more aware of within my body and listening to my body and understanding that either something physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual or whatever was overtrained. 
And so tapping into that a little bit and understanding when to slow down and which area would have been very helpful. And so that's something I can use moving forward. You know, when is my nervous system fried? For me, it's for sure fried physically, mainly by exertion, like heavy exertion, you know, like hit workouts are tough for me. You know, like I, my body fries in two seconds. Cause I, that's just my nature. A lot of thinking and a lot of personal introspection will make me feel like I have the flu and I'm exhausted. And so I'm just giving examples of like things that you can start to pick up on and notice to then to, to dial it back. Maybe that means you take the next 12 hours to just chill. You know, if you have, if you have the ability to do so, then that's necessary so that you can start to see those signs and everything. But yeah, my stuff was definitely all night sweats, like bed soaked in night sweats. And I was talking to Rich and Chris about this up in Tahoe and I mentioned it a little bit to him a while back, but it's a real thing and there's no excuses and not sitting here like, Oh my God, you know, but I I'm now aware of it. And so now, for example, like this past week I had night sweats one night. I woke up and I was like, all right, <laughs> I know I'm a getting back into training a little bit. Like I'm starting to do a little bit more, which my body hasn't done in four to five months, but what's is there something in my mind that's kind of driving me nuts? Like, am I a little overthinking something? And I started to pinpoint what that was. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm going to address this now. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to overthink it. And then I'm going to shut that down, you know? And so there's a way of like bringing it to the surface, addressing it, and then being able to shut it down and just learning again. What, what works for you. Yeah. Again, I'm just going to town. <laughs> yeah, I, You know, I, I think the hardest part about that is that a lot of people are not very intuitive with their own body. Like it sounds like you really are. And I know that I'm very intuitive because I've spent a lot of time on that, but I think it's important for people to realize that you have to start looking for signs of when you need to rest. And I, I actually did an Instagram live about this yesterday about when these are my markers, when I need to rest and to start looking for those in your own life. Cause it shows up differently. Like for you, it shows up as night sweats or, you know, emotional fatigue and, and feeling like you have the flu for other mm -hmm. people. It shows up as just extreme burnout for other people. It shows up as getting snippy and, and rude to people around you because you're just mm -hmm. overwhelmed. So being able to take the time to build the self-awareness around how to figure out when you're tired is so key. So what would you say to people? Like, how would you recommend that people try to figure that out? What are the steps, if there are any? I would say not to look too hard. I think a lot of times we try and create problems that aren't there too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And allow yourselves to just say, okay, just because I had one night of nights, that doesn't mean I have adrenal fatigue. Let's see if it continues. No, but that may be a sign for something that you can just pay more attention to within yourself. Again, going back to the overanalyzing. It's just being able to feel and then assess. We can spiral and we all do it. We spiral out of control. That's totally normal as a human being. We this, that, then this, then that, then oh my gosh. And so it's paying attention to it and honestly writing it down, writing down a little, a few things and then being able to assess from there. Okay, cool. Is this something that I should pay attention to or pay attention to and have my feelers out for? And if it is, and if you start noticing it a bit more, then just tap into that, but don't create it <laughs> and, and don't create that problem to happen. Right. And I think that's the key is that we can all create issues to happen and to manifest within our bodies or within, oh, maybe I have adrenal fatigue. And then that night you wake up sweating and you're like, but did I just will that? Or did I, <laughs> did yeah. I just know? So we can will things, but it's just like being able to just like kind of shut down and uh, like see what occurs for you. 
shut down your mind. I mean, like you don't need to overthink or spiral, just like see what occurs for you, see what comes up. And if it's a recurring theme, then address it. That's my biggest piece of advice. And I mean, again, one of my other, you, you were talking about your personal markers. One of mine was I lost so much weight. You know, I was like way too thin and I was not fueling my body at all. And it, I, I was eating, but nothing was sticking because I wasn't allowing it to. Like I wasn't giving myself the proper fuel. And I'm realizing that this past year as well, how important that is. And it takes time to understand what your body does need in a different st- stage of your life too. And so just humbling yourself with that and understanding the more solid foundation that I feel with strength training keeps weight on, proper foods keep weight on you know, not just snacking all day on like random things, like eating actual whole things and understanding that that's part of being able to slow your body down to absorb that and to build from there, you know? So that's been another thing that I look for is if I drop weight or anything quickly, I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. Uh, Like that's a physical thing that like you understand is not healthy and putting that back into perspective is humbling and also takes a little bit of willpower too. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing though, because with your injury, you said that there's been so much positivity that's come out of it. And that was a choice to choose to say, and I'm sure it wasn't easy whenever your calcaneus got a fracture and it's, and then now you have to make a decision. Should I cancel this race or not? And for for some people, for some people, it sounds like an easy decision, but it's not like I've done really stupid stuff with broken bones where Amelia would not like, would not like my choices. And, it's, Probably it's, not. and again, it's being brave enough to stop and to say, I'm done. I, I need to rest and taking the time to do something that's going to be positive for you instead of dwelling on what you can't do. And I think that that's really yeah. awesome that you've yeah. spent that time and it's actually become a really positive thing that's come out of that. Absolutely. Again, talking about that hallway again, dwelling on what you can't do. I mean, for sure was real. I had my three, four weeks where I was just not happy. (laughs) And and then you realize, all right, I'm going to sit with this and start to focus on what is possible. And again, cliche as it seems, you know, but driving it home, it's your own perception, your own way of living through to that truth of of what you can do instead of trying so hard to get rid of what you can't and you know the just just trying to control it so hard just like let go a little bit and just chill (laughs) it's the hardest thing for so many athletes to do and for non-athletes like you don't have to be an athlete it's it's something that we all experience and work through so yeah that's a great point that you made Yeah. And I also think it's important to be able, you said the three to four weeks, it's important to feel that disappointment and not to pretend it's not there as well, because Uh shoving stuff down and pretending it's not there also isn't healthy. So taking the time to really appreciate how you feel and accept how you feel, and then to refocus and move on and realize that, yeah, it sucks that you couldn't go do your race or it sucks that you have a broken bone, but knowing that that's not permanent and there's going to be other things in the future that you can do that might be even better. And that, like you said, everything does happen for a reason, even if you can't figure out what that reason is in the moment. Exactly. We had a hilarious group text going, Chris, Rich and I, and at one point I like said something super stubborn and snippy in there, just like, you know, I was like, I had a day (laughs) where I was just mad at the fact that I couldn't go and I was very grateful that we still did our Tahoe, you know, stuff. And I was mad. I couldn't run with them, but I was just hanging out on, you know, whatever. Anyway. And I, and I wrote something and Chris said, you know, the beauty of injuries is that it crystallizes your trust and friendships. 
And I was like, holy cow, like that is so true. And that kind of mountain or, you know, snowballed into this mountain of ideas that like, I'm so grateful for. And that's what I talked about at the beginning of this podcast is that I just have started to realize so much about myself. And I've really cleared a lot of crap out of my head that had been there for a long time, whether it was anger or what ifs, or, you know, just a lot of stuff that I was like, again, collecting for so many years and holding on to. And I was just able to let that go because of so many wonderful people that pointed out what I do have ahead of me and what is in front of me. Cause you get caught in that, in those cobwebs, like we talked about. So yeah, it was a beautiful statement. So Chris, if you're listening, good job. High five. Yeah, I, can't, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> I'm about sure that. he'll like shoot something funny back after this part. Like, yeah, Miracle. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about their their adventure. Like I've been following the their training, and yeah, for those of you listening, yeah. like why don't you explain the event that they're at? Because I know I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with that that listen to this show. Yeah, there's a million ways of saying it, but Utilo, Utilo, Utilo. We all were going to go over there to Sweden. It's a swim run, and it's about 40 miles of running and 10 miles of swimming. Oh, and it's swim run, swim run. So you're <laughs> swimming and then you're getting out in the Baltic Sea, which is freezing. And then you're getting out and you're running in shoes and wetsuits and paddles and all of that. And they are partners. So they're over there now. Well, actually, I don't think Chris is over there now, but Rich left. It was supposed to be on the same flight as Rich and obviously didn't go. However, they're over there now and they're about to crush it. It's on Monday. There's a live feed that you can watch. It's 11 hours. So don't feel the need to watch the whole thing, everybody. (laughs) But you know what? Like these two are like father figure, big brother mentors to me. And they're fabulous. And I just met Chris. I've always known of him, but I just met him through Rich just in Tahoe. I did not even know him. And we're, and, we're talking I mean, about I Rich, Rich Roll, in case people Rich, aren't sure. Yeah. So, and I've known Rich for a number of years. So it was a really nice experience to be able to be around that. And it was a spur of the moment thing to where it was like, hey, are we still doing this Tahoe trip? Berkeley, you're coming up. I don't care if you can't run. And I'm like, no, Rich, I can't do it. I don't know. I'm just going to sit there. And he's like, you're coming. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> so I like drive up there, <laughs> you know, and that was, that was awesome. So they've been training their butts off. I got to witness the two of them working as a team again, going back to the team thing and having that accountability. So it'll be really cool. I'm excited for them. Cool. I'll link up uh, that podcast about that in the show notes, as well as uh, the YouTube video that you guys made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't do a thing. I have no um, YouTube expertise. <laughs> well, you you were starving. They, it was riches. Oh, yeah. I was eating romaine lettuce or something at the beginning. <laughs> I, no, it was a blast. Honestly, it was a lot of fun. I really needed that to shift my mind a, a little bit. You know, and honestly, it almost made me feel like I was participating in the race a little bit just because I was able to be there and experience a fun training 48 hours, you know, and, and be in that mindset of where they're super focused and I can be super focused and yeah, and lay on the dock and work on my phone instead of when they were running. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be able to do that later. Sure. So I was, gonna be awesome. well, you'd be proud of me. I saw I a picture. Bike. Yeah. I was, cause I mean, I, I brought my mountain bike up there cause so many trails and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. So you should come here. Uh, we have, I live in Kelowna, yeah. British Columbia, and I live on a hundred mile long lake. That's about, I think it's like a mile across or something. 
But they have a swim across the lake competition every year. And it's actually a really, I was asking my husband about this. There are really high caliber swimmers that come do this race because. What's it called? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to look it up and send it to you. Yeah, I'm but, down. Let's do it, girl. You're swimming with me. Uh, and then I'll mountain I don't bike. Know. You can I, teach I, me the mountain biking ways because right. this chick over here is obviously. I'd love to, but it's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I said to my husband, Matt, because I've never been a swimmer. And to me, swimming is like sensory deprivation. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah. But that's just my bad attitude that I need to fix. But I said, do you think I could just make it if, if I just jump in this race with no training? Because I don't want to train for it. And he's like, you might drown. So I actually do want to do the swim across the lake just to prove to myself that I can yeah. do it. So tell me when yeah. it is and I will see if I can make it up there and we can do it and I'll swim with you. Awesome. Well, I don't know. I'd say you could swim on your own because it might be really boring to swim with me, but no, I mean, Hey, yeah. you know, if it goes back to the team idea, then, then that's more right. worth it. But yeah, I think that's a good idea. Swimming is a wonderful sport, especially no impact. And for those of you out there that are injured or you have any sort of fears of the water, it is the most therapeutic thing that you can do for your body. And I su highly suggest it, especially if you can get in lakes or stuff like that. It's a little bit more exciting than a chlorinated pool. <laughs> yeah. That's actually why, like I actually, when I was 18, I was looking at, I was a brand new endurance athlete and I saw signs for Kona Ironman and I, I didn't know what that was. And I remember I went to the library and I was like, what is this Ironman thing? And I saw it and I wanted to do it, but it was way too expensive. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do the training for fun. And because I had ran a marathon when I was 18 and I was going right. to the, the pool at my gym and I didn't realize, I didn't know how to calculate the distances or I miscalculated them. And I was swimming like it was either one or two miles at a time with no background in swimming. And then I'd go home and lay in my bed and I actually felt like I was out of my body. I was so tired. Yeah. And you really, yeah, it, it honestly, it's a, it's a tough sport and you get starving afterwards too. You're like ravenous. Like every time I swim, I'm like, where's the food? I'm like so <laughs> hungry. And it's, but it's a great cross training tool. If you can't run or if you, for some reason, you know, don't have a bike or whatever, it's a great cross training tool for endurance and especially hypoxic and lung capacity, VO2 max, stuff like that. It's really wonderful. So I suggest it, even if it's just a mile and starting slowly, it, there's, again, there's no need to push anything that you're not comfortable doing. Just getting in is body displacement, stretches it out. And it's good too. Do, swimmers, do swimmers typically have like a higher red blood cell count um, and hematocrit because of the hypoxic state you put yourself in? Yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, your lungs adapt to your body too. It's like you have gigantic rib cage because your lungs just expand so much. And hypoxically, it's, I mean, we did so much work, breath work and stuff like that. So it's 100% a red blood cell booster. <laughs> it's just awesome. And that's, that was actually something that I felt was a small win for me. I like got VO2 tested just a bit ago and it was still just as good. And I was like, all right, Caroline, you haven't lost anything. You're going to be fine. You've been swimming this whole time, you know, cause you go just like, Oh my gosh, what if I've lost all my ability to have endurance or whatever. <laughs> And so it was, it was a small marker that was a big win. And I think that, you know, it was a cool feeling to know that that doesn't really go away if you train it just right. So <laughs> awesome. Well, let's wrap this up and let's just close uh, up talking about your mentoring program and business. Yeah. So check us out. Uh, it's for athletes 13 to 20 or so, but we're open to 
anybody really. And it's sports psychology based mentoring between Olympians and athletes. So we have a group of Olympians right now. We have 15 and growing and that work with athletes from all over the world on video calls. So it's essentially a mentoring relationship. And I guess you could call it a sports psychology counseling relationship of sorts too, so that you're working one-on-one in front of them for to overcome obstacles, go over their fears in sport and self-confidence and boost their self-esteem. Everything that you can possibly imagine is catered to that specific individual for what they need. So it's a really cool experience. And the Olympians get stuff out of it and the athletes get stuff. So it's a mutual relationship, which is really, really neat. So that's Rise Athletes. We changed our name from Rise Elite to Rise Athletes just recently, and that will launch soon. So that's exciting. And we have uh, some new, fun, exciting things coming up as far as branding goes and and growth within the business. So yeah, you can find us at Rise right now, riseeliteathletes.com or email rise at riseeliteathletes.com. And yeah, that's how website. you can check us out. Yeah. So, you know, we're just trying to create a culture and community to better Olympians and to better athletes. It's a wonderful platform for both to feel significant and to create a relationship to and to give back. So it's a, it's a cool experience. You can do it from anywhere too, which is awesome. You could be in like Dubai or something and, you know, FaceTime, Skype in with your mentor and everything. So it's pretty cool. That's so cool. Well, I can't wait to keep yeah. watching your journey and to have you up Thanks. in Kelowna to go swimming. In yeah, let's go swim, girl. Let's do it. <laughs> I live like two minute walk from the beach and I honestly oh, can say, I'm, so like, I'm embarrassed to say that I have barely swam in it. I just kind of go stand it and say, oh, this is cold. And then I run back out. So I'm a little bit of That's a wimp. That's my when challenge it comes. for you. Go <laughs> swim in it this weekend. Go at least swim a little All bit right. in it. I'll go swim in it and you. I'll send you a picture and be like, I'm swimming. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. I'm super down. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your energy. And I I can't wait to just continue our conversations and definitely have you back on the show because there's so many different little things where I wanted to pick out and keep talking about them. Um, Yeah, we'll do another round. Yeah. And it'll be super. It'll be a really fun thing to do. Cool. Well, congratulations on everything that you've done and everything that you're not doing because you're resting. That's awesome. And Thank you for being a great example. (laughs) No, thanks for being transparent. A lot of people are afraid to be transparent and to really say what they're feeling because it's scary to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there. So thank you for doing that because it's really powerful and it impacts more people than you actually can realize. So thank you for that. Thank you. You do the same. Really, you're doing some awesome things over there. I've been following you for a short time now and I'm very inspired. So thank you for being (laughs) a positive force to your community and to everybody else as well. Yeah, thanks. That was such a cool conversation with Caroline. She's such a genuine and amazing person, and you can really feel her energy, even just looking at her social media accounts. And I will put a link in the show notes so that you can connect with her directly. If you like my show, I'm aiming to make it an ad-free zone using crowdfunding to support it. All donations will go directly to the production of the show, and I'm raising money using a website called Patreon, and that will also be in the show notes. A lot of podcasts sell ads to cover the production costs of their show, which can be quite high. I'm not a fan of ads when I listen to podcasts, so my goal is to make this podcast an ad-free zone. The current production of this free show is primarily supported out of my own pocket, and a small portion is covered through the donations on Patreon. With my Patreon page, you can donate directly to the show, as I mentioned, which will help me cover the costs each week. So if you find value and enjoy the show, 
Even $1 per episode, four bucks a month helps. And there's other tiers where you can actually get stuff in return for higher donation amounts. Thank you to my podcast audio editor, Roma. He does an amazing job making sure that these podcasts sound really, really good. And I'm always excited to hear the end product. I'm currently gearing up for Interbike, the bicycle trade show in Las Vegas, and I'll be leaving next week. So if any of you guys will be there, make sure you reach out and check out my social media channels as I will be showing the journey. It's always such a crazy experience going there and just getting to connect with all these different brands and meeting new people there as well. Thanks so much for listening. And hey guys, why don't you leave some stars on iTunes if you're enjoying the show? Leave me a rating, leave me a review. I read them all and they really help a lot. Super appreciate your attention and let's connect soon. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye.